Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you sit down one day and realize, if I don't do well, if I don't sell this, if I don't make this happen, if I, you know I don't reach this goal, you know as we were joking before, then my son may not eat. for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Tonight, we will be hearing from Omar Kinnebrew. Omar, so for those of of us who kind of joined in while you and Jerome were having a conversation, uh, I think I heard something about fancy suits and making deliveries. So can you talk to us a little bit about the story that you're going to share with us this evening? Uh, well, I'd be more than happy to, and I'll kind of talk about um, where I've been, where I am, and where I'm going. But to answer your question about fancy suits, I'll, I like to jokingly say that uh, I run around and play dress-up, and I take that from my brother because he's been saying that for the past year and a half. He always says, you don't have a job. You just run around and play dress-up. So that, that's what I do. Um, but in that, uh, I am uh, the CEO and founder of Bespoke Chair, which is a custom garment, clothing, and accessory brand where we provide custom-crafted looks for men and women across the globe. And you, know, you mentioned story, and I won't dive in too quickly in case there's another starting point you'd like, but I'd uh, be more than happy to share the way in which I got started uh, very slowly um, but, you know, more importantly, finally got things off the ground to, to where I am today. To jump in before that, but um, as I mentioned, I'd be happy to just kind of to walk you and the tribe through how I started uh, and, and then where I am now and kind of what it means to, to my future. My background, 
Um, after graduating from North Carolina A&T, which is one of the greatest institutions out there, um, I had the ability to jump right into the work world in the realm of sales and sales management. And, you know, not a bad start. I worked for a print communication company, which uh, is not that exciting. But, you know, as some people may attest to, when you are able to sell either services or items, um, it will definitely help you along the way. Um, so I, I worked with R. Donnelly for about eight and a half years, and within that time, I went from account executive, it was promoted to assistant regional manager, uh, and thought I was moving forward as I should. And the reason why I say as I should is because my, my plan, you know, or, or my, my career trajectory was to you know, go from account exec to manager to director to VP to running everything, right? Sounded good, sounded doable. Uh, the only problem was my company wasn't on that, the same page in, in that regard. Uh, so after being promoted to assistant regional manager, another two years, went back and got my MBA in marketing and strategic management and, you know, was really feeling myself at that time, so I thought I could write my own ticket. And, uh, you know, went to a company and sat down with my VPs and uh, directors and immediate bosses and kind of laid out my plan because I wanted to, to move forward and kick butt, take names, and run divisions. And, you know, they kind of sat there and said, you know, gave me the, the kind of the, the, pat, the good old boy pat on the back, like, yeah, okay, well, you know, you're doing great where you are. I don't know why you'd want to change. Uh, make sure you don't leave for another company because the grass isn't always green on the other side. Uh, but we'll, we'll try to find some things for you. So that was not the, the conversation I was expecting to have, and it was quite discouraging. But nonetheless, I stayed around for a few more years. I was, was trying to, to make my way and navigate to either you know, different areas of the company, to different teams, and was getting shot down left and right. Um, so you can only imagine what that, what that can do to, to one's confidence and, and ability, uh, what they feel their ability is. So with that, I began looking externally. The only problem was for at least six months, Relisha, I was probably the most delusional, irrational person in the world when it comes to uh, going out and looking for the next role. Um, so, again, I had a you know, sales and sales management background, had MBA in marketing. Here I was applying for director-level marketing roles at Fortune 250, Fortune 500 corporations, right, and just shocked that I wasn't getting calls, <laughs> getting any calls back to, to come in for an interview, right? Why, why weren't people just jumping to and, and reaching out to interview me? But, again, just delusional. Uh, and it took a while to really understand, you know, after talking to a few people, that you know what it says on paper isn't what people are looking for. I don't have the experience, so you know, maybe you have to transition another way. So after being with R. Donnelly for eight and a half years, uh, I decided it was time to, to make a transition to another corporation. Now, as I was making a transition or looking to, to, to move externally, I came upon an issue one day right? An issue that many men probably still find as a, a very uh, upsetting, albeit minute issue in their, in their daily kind of dress uh, scenarios. And that is my pocket squares 
And even though, now stick, stay with me because it may sound like I'm going off on a tangent, but don't worry, it, it relates. Gentlemen that wear suits or jackets or blazers on a daily basis or quite often will probably run into the issue of having their pocket square fall down to the bottom of their pocket. And, of course, that was one of my issues. And as I'm going online trying to find something that can hold the pocket squares, I wasn't really finding what, what I thought would be the right solution. So I began to you know, tinker around with, with different materials, different designs, went through a few different iterations so that I could design my own pocket square holder. Once it got to the point that it was viable enough to you know, be a, a, a pretty nifty device, my wife encouraged me, really pushed me to try to sell it online. And so I thought, well, okay, it would be a, a pretty cool idea. I'll go ahead and put it on eBay and, and Etsy and Amazon Prime and, and do that. So that was you know, a little bit before my transition. And so I had started working as, on this pocket square holder as a side project, right, not really thinking too much of it. Now, as I'm looking externally for these roles and as I'm looking to leave R.R. Down to make the transition, the, the sales of my pocket square holder begin to pick up. Uh, and, and there's nothing more rewarding than creating something that people buy, not just family and friends, right? Because, you know, the worst thing you can do, well, the best and worst thing you can do is sell to family because they're going to support you, but it's not always the best litmus, <laughs> litmus test for whether or not your idea is good. So when I had other people purchasing the holder, yeah, I gave myself a pat on the back and so, Felt pretty good about that, um, and sales were picking up, picking up. Now, at that time, I was just selling it, you know, selling it individually, I'm um, just under my name, and I realized that I needed to create a company name, a brand, what have you, so that as I go out and try to market and, and showcase these things, if I go to an event or you know, want to you know, pitch that to anybody. Um, I need to have an umbrella in which to house it under. So I created the OSK Styles brand, which, you know, again, easiest thing in the world to do is name a company after yourself, right? So the OSK stood for my name, Omar Slim Kennebrew, and Styles was just an easy attachment to that moniker uh, because it dealt with the realm of fashion. So it's very easy, very simple. Started that LLC and allowed the, the pocket squares to, to sell and, and Things were, were growing quite organically. So as I – and it now going – like I said, it's all going to connect. So as I go back, you know, to the working realm, as I mentioned, I'm looking to make a transition from R.R. Donnelly to another corporation. And, you know, I, I got – my ego knocked down a few pegs because I wasn't getting these marketing roles. And so I finally transitioned from the print and communication world to healthcare IT or healthcare technology, by way of Athena Health. And it, uh, Athena Health is a pretty young company that sells uh, electronic health record systems or solutions. And I joined on as a sales rep, and uh, it was pretty cool, right? It was a younger company. Uh, you know, a lot of the reps were actually younger than me. My boss was the same age as me, which, which wasn't a problem. But I felt that it just it stunk because this would have been the perfect place for me probably five, six, seven years ago. So as I'm 
learning the ropes of the company and then building up steam and, and trying to gain my footing with the whole, you know, selling of ERM, ERM solutions, I began going back to you know, the side business of the Poxwell Holder. I began to transition from selling Poxwell Holders to also selling other accessories like cufflinks, tie bars, pocket squares, and started a relationship or partnership based off a relationship I had with a, a tailor that was already crafting garments for me. And you know, I was talking to him one day in, in the conversation, and so I have this brand. It's in the men's fashion realm with the, on the retail side. Why don't we just establish a partnership where I can take you know, the, the garments, because over time I was able to, to build a decent amount of material knowledge, you know, fitting knowledge, so I understand how, how things should look, how they should fit, how they should, they should be crafted, and had a good idea of I can be I can bring attractive price points to the Atlanta market. You know why why don't we do this thing? And so he said, all right, Omar, let's do it. We can have we can create a white label partnership, and you can sell custom garments on your brand. And I'll be your tailor. Awesome. And literally like that, Relisha, I was now custom clothing, right? And that was paramount because it's an instrumental in, in moving forward. And as I continued with Athena Health for about eight months, they went through a Jurassic round of layoffs where 20% of the sales force was let go. And because I was within this scenario, the you know, last in, first out scenario, uh, I was given the option. Of, well, I wasn't you know, walked out of the door like, like some folks. They just couldn't hold the sales team anymore. So they gave me an option to, to stay on and find another role. So I had an opportunity to find another position in that company. And as I began interviewing with other teams, I, I just realized more and more how much I didn't want to be there and how much of an asset I would not be at that company if I were to try to get on any other team. Um, and so in mid-interview process, I stopped two of them. And then on one of the teams I was interviewing for during the last interviews, <laughs> they asked me if I really wanted to, to be there because I hadn't done any of the research on, on their department or what they were doing. I was like, it would be nice, but... And after that, of course, the interview was over. And, and I wasn't mad, you know, and, and went back home and began looking for external roles again. And after a week, I, I stopped and just had the epiphany of, what, what are you doing, man? Stop lying to yourself that you're going to go out and stay in the corporate realm. You know, you're, you are doing well enough on the side of the accessories and, and then also the custom clothing. You, you, know, you understand sales. You understand marketing. You're not a bad guy, right? A few people like you. So why not take this energy, why not take this, this effort, take some capital, and, and just put it into the business? And so it was May, end of May of 2017, uh, I officially took OSK Styles to the full-time, the full-time realm. And from that period, I was officially an entrepreneur, I guess, right? In, in the most simplest of meanings. Uh, in the sense that I didn't have a job and was only focused on my 
the business in which I was starting. Um, and so that led me to really, really get in, into high gear um, in, in the sense of, you know, now every day when I'm waking up, I was no longer looking for looking for roles on LinkedIn or reaching out to folks or connections to companies I want to work with. I was no longer waking up to go, you know, push a product or a service for somebody else. I was waking up with a smile on my face, going out, and as my brother says, playing dress up, <laughs> right? Uh, and so it it has been a, a beautiful and trying thing, um, and, and like I. Like I tell folks, I compare it to to being a dad of a two and a half year old. It's the most beautiful thing that that kicks my butt. <laughs> you know, it kicks my butt every single day. But I, I wouldn't change it for the world. And and I'll tell you one thing that that was real when I mentioned you know the, being an entrepreneur in the most simplest of of meanings. It really hit me one day, a month later, when. I was no longer getting checks from, from my job, right? There was no severance here, no, nothing else over here. It was everything that I was going to do to bring money into the house was going to come from my efforts, you know, being my own boss and running this business. And uh, that is the coolest and absolutely most frightening thing in the world when you sit down one day and realize if I don't do well, if I don't sell this, if I don't make this happen, if I, you know I don't reach this goal, you know as we were joking before, then my son may not eat, right? And that's that's a real thing. I have to provide for my wife, myself, and our little one. Um, and so it, it helps as the best motivator in the world. Money is is good. Money is fun and everything, but taking care of your family will, will definitely uh, put things in, in perspective. So not not to carry on too much, but I just wanted to you know, to give the, the tribe just a quick background as to where I was and, and where I got to this day and age uh, as we speak on the phone now. So did you see this coming? Like what was the, the inspiration for it? Have a conversation um, that was like a pivotal turning point for you where you could say, I know you talked a little bit about kind of like the job and going through um, what you were feeling there, but did you have some other kind of influences or inspiration to to kind of just jump out there and do it? So I'll tell you what, this has probably been the most happenstance style of anything I've done before, you know, in my life. And you know, to answer your question, not really, even though there have been you know, certain points that have helped to propel me forward or, or maybe help guide me in, in certain directions. But literally starting out, you know, it literally just came about quite serendipitously in the sense of, one, starting with the pocket score holder and just trying to fulfill my own need and then saw that there was a business need for it, or my wife helped me see that, and put it out there. And, you know, luckily with some marketing efforts and the right push and the right promos and the right solution, was able to sell that and then seeing what the market was showing in terms of, I'm sorry, what the market was offering in terms of custom garments um, in and outside of the city and seeing that, okay, I can find my, my own space within, within this industry. And then, you know, further expanding by one, having a, a more 
a more complex and extensive offer. That's helped me. And by I mean, you know, and I've had conversations, you know, ever since being in corporate to now running the business. You always have conversations with either business owners, um, with clothiers, with tech guys, with real estate guys, you know, you name it. But I have to be honest when I say a lot of it had, had just come about. And fortunately, I had the right support and the wherewithal to jump at whatever opportunity was presenting itself at the time and just run with it. Um, because there were, you know, there were a few times where I considered going back into corporate you know, just for the stability, but then I realized, well, when I was trying to you know, work on my side business and, and grow up and build the product, and then when I went to the custom clothing side, while when I was in that scenario, I would always say to myself, okay, when I get to this point, then I'm going to go full-time. When I do this, I'm going to go full-time. You know, but let's be honest, right? That never really would have happened. I wouldn't have had, <laughs> honestly, the courage, right, to, to jump out there. Um, so things just kind of came up, and as they did present themselves, I, I jumped at it. I would say the only other pivotal moments were the, the points in time when the business, right, or, or the ideas were validated. In, in the sense of, you know, I mentioned one, having somebody purchase your, your product that you don't know. In the airport one day, I was either like in Chicago or Columbus, Ohio, somewhere, in the airport, and I saw somebody with a pocket square. I'm like, hey, and he, he was, you know, dapper dude, um, you know, older guy, looked real clean. I was like, man, I was like, hey, I love the, I love the style, I love the outfit. See you rocking a pocket square. Um, have you ever run into an issue of your pocket square falling down? And he goes, no, because I have this. And he pulled out his pocket square, and my holder was attached to it. And that was, I mean, that had to be the coolest, 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 coolest thing in the world. I was like, there's no way, right, that a product I sold that I invented ended up in the marketplace to where I run across somebody that had it, right? So that, that validation just gave me that continual fuel to move forward uh, and keep going. And then when I got to the custom clothing side, when more and more people were coming back saying, hey, you know, how can I get this made? Or repeat clients are coming back, how can I get more of this? You know, how can we get you in touch with this person? We, let's get more people over to, to see what you're doing. Um, just all these, all these moments of validation um, weren't necessarily uh, pivotal moments, but they were more like the propulsion to, to give me the, the much-needed energy to move forward, continue moving forward. So it sounds like you got a constant high-five as you were taking each step. Yeah, in, in a way, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you got to high-five yourself because I'll tell you what, there's a whole lot that doesn't go right. <laughs> there's, there's a whole lot that, that people don't see, right? And, and Jerome and I were just talking about this. And, you know, he's been doing, you know, he's always doing a ton of running around. As we were laughing earlier, I was doing a ton of running around. And one of the things that I mentioned that, you know, when you see, you know, folks that have very demanding jobs or roles or they're entrepreneurs and running businesses and they're in the thick of things, aside from juggling everything that's going on, I say the hardest thing, you know, or, or what I give people the most credit and most props on if they're able to compose themselves is like maintaining sane, like keeping the, keeping the sanity. I, like, I, I don't know how in the world to do it because, man, 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 there's always something going on. Always, always, always something going on. And so people don't see that, right? 
because you don't want them to see that a lot of times, right? You, you show people, you know, the, all the beautiful aspects of what you do, what you provide, uh, you know, again, whether it's your business or whether you're providing a service or businesses overall, right? You just want to show, show people the nice flowers, smell the pretty roses, everything is fine. And in the back of the, <laughs> in, the, in the back room, like everything's on fire, people are running around yelling and screaming. Um, so that's a, a daily scenario um, that a lot of us deal with, but it comes with the territory, you know. And it comes a time when you either have a need for it or have the resources to delegate out. Again, we were just talking about this earlier to delegate these things out to take some of it off your plate so that you don't completely lose it and go insane. Right, or maybe you could have some semblance of a, of a real life. So tell us a little bit about your background, okay? The man behind the business, and what could you weave into this story from your background that that you can say, looking back, you know, these things um, prepared me for where I am. Uh, I'd go back even before, you know, your the the job that you had uh, or sure. your interview time, like just in your growing up. Yeah, so I will I will say that my father has been a huge inspiration of mine, you know, just over the years, not only for the fashion side, because he has been and still is one of the coolest dudes, you know, in terms of style, yeah, in terms of just swag and personality, the whole nine, right? Coolest dudes, coolest dudes in the world, and... You know, we saw that growing up from a very young age, uh, but I also captured a lot of his business acumen. And one of the reasons I wanted to go down that or, or go or climb the corporate ladder because that's what he did. I wanted to be just like him, um, and I wanted to, you know, make deals and, and make money and look good doing it and, and all those, those awesome things. Um, and, and it, you know, it doesn't always work out in that same way. You know, a lot of what I have grown up to, to do has come from what I've grown up seeing my father do and just taking a lot from him, right? And, uh, and, and, he, and then along with that, right, so being able, you know, understanding that, you know, everybody deserves respect, you know, treat everybody that way uh, because what you learn is going into business negotiation and a lot is about respect or understanding the person on the other side of the table, which again can help with deals. Um, knowing that you can, <laughs> you can always negotiate something. There's always a price on something. You just have to learn how to get to it. Uh, and then you know, there's there's never a day where you don't. There's never a day that you don't have to be stylish, right? Meaning, you could you can wear whatever you want to wear. But if you want to look good every day, you want to put on you know, put some nice clothing. Go ahead and do it, right? Because your look is your own. Your style is your own. Um, and that's the picture you're painting for the world, right? Not everybody feels that way. Not everybody dresses that way. Not a problem. Um, but for those who do, you know, I feel that it should come. They want to get down. They want to be able to do to where to where it's easy, right? And we we help people do that. Um, and then from my mother, I took a lot of her her kindness and, and being able to relate to people from a very young age because she always saw the best in people. And so that along with common sense <laughs> and having to live through some things and the business acumen um, just allowed me to, you know, grow and be successful as a sales rep and then as, as a business person. So just taking that from them and harnessing it 
and then utilizing it to to be a good person, uh, both you know socially, ethically, and uh, in the business realm, has gone a long way. So I've been on the website, and for those of you who are on the call who want to um, take a look at the website, um, you can go to bespokature.com. That's B E S P O K U T U R E dot com, and take a look at what Omar's done. Oh, sorry, Alicia, I'm in. Catch up, but I wanted to jump in and say, because I just realized now I didn't even talk about the the rebranding, right? Yeah, how how poor of a marketer am I? If I don't even talk about the the rebranding and the new company name, see, yeah, I'm just I already messing up, but but no, no, I, I kid, I kid. Um, so I transitioned from OSK Styles to Bespokature because I originally had Bespokature, which we trademarked as the future of bespoke, um, or you can easily think about it like bespoke and couture, but uh, the, the true meaning behind it and, and for our trademark was the future of bespoke. The reason for transitioning was because as, as I began you know, selling more and, and the brand was growing, I sat back and even though we don't have a brick and mortar now, and I thought to myself, okay, if, if potentially, and this is a, an almost goal of mine, right? So it's not on the paper yet, but it's a, it's a thought. If I want to have a flagship store, if I look at my branding, if I look at, you know, this OSK styles, it just it felt too rudimentary and it just felt like it wasn't getting the job done. It wasn't portraying the right look. We didn't have the, the right colors. So after doing research and talking to different designers and brand guys uh, and gals and, and just understanding what the type of look we should have, ended up rebranding literally last year in September. So September 2018, made the official switch show, um, took the Spokature um, as what was going to be a sub-brand of OSK Styles. It was going to be like the executive or the premium sub-brand and took that and just elevated it to the main brand, wiped out OSK Styles, and so the Spokature sits alone right? because overall we wanted it to be a very elegant, very luxurious look and feel. Um, and then also with the Spokature, the word for spoke, spoke just resonates with a lot of people and understanding that it's something custom made um, and then if you hear couture you just kind of put those together so that's how we got to to that rebranding endpoint and you know very happy with it you know a lot of people took to it a lot faster than I would have expected you know, I didn't know if there was going to be pushback or people like what are you doing what does this mean um, even though people they do ask what does it mean or how do you say it which is fine but a lot of people took to it very well, and it does present and give the right look that as a brand for to grow, and as we have clients both nationwide and internationally, it's the right look to help us move and advance to to where I really wanted to see us grow. So I, I see you modeling one of the suits, and I have to ask, you and your wife have a picture up here. Now, did you, I know that you're in mostly suits. Did you do anything with her gown for your wedding? I did not. Actually, nothing in well except the shirt. the 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 suit wasn't custom. The shoes weren't custom. Only the shirt was custom. So my wife and I, we got married five years ago, right? And October fifth. Let's see. I wasn't even. I wasn't doing anything on the retail side at all. But 
I had a custom shirt just because, like I said, um, I had a guy that would make some custom things for me every now and then. And I just got the suit from Banana Republic, the shoes from Aldo, the tie, the tie from Express. Right. And, yes, I do remember all these things. <laughs> uh, but not in make her gown. But we do craft women's, get, women's wear. And as you saw, we crafted my wife's suit. Um, we also made jeans and shoes and bags for women, um, shirts or blouses. Uh, we, we do make some dresses or skirts, like uh, pencil skirts, A-line dresses, bodice dresses, but we just don't dabble in formal gowns or high heels, So at least not yet. I don't know how I feel about that part, Omar. <laughs> I, I mean, I just see you decked out up here, <laughs> at least for your wife. And, you know, I, I just it, it's a really, really nice uh, website. So, guys, if you're on the call and you have a chance to go and look, you know, just kind of as I was um, looking through it, it made me think about, um, it, you know, you see this a lot on Facebook now, these um, kind of trunk companies that will put together the whole look for you, um, you know, from your accessories, different accessories you need, and kind of how how to lay out, um, you know, your wardrobe because there are just, you know, some men who don't spend a lot of time in that space. And so I think your website kind of makes it easy, you know, to pick up ideas. And so I think it's really well done. Thank you very much. And and uh, we are literally in the process of revamping the website um, to where, you know, as we grow and as I look to, you know, duplicate or multiply my efforts to, to continue growing and expanding, one of the things we're going to do is try to automate more and more of the the interactions. So there's still, of course, you know, the personal touch to the interaction for a customer in, in Clodia. Um, but you now some folks, they, they want to look at things right now or they want to get answers right now. They want to craft something right now. So we're working on making that available to them so they don't have to wait for a response um, if they want to, you know, begin looking at different designs or different fabrics, their prices, you know, any material composition questions, um, you know, you can design shoes online. So there's a lot of, of options that we have and there's, there's more that are coming. And, you know, it's just the, the growth that, that I've envisioned uh, because I, I don't want to, you know, be another clother, right? There's nothing wrong with that because option is good, competition is good. But there, there's a lot of clothiers in Atlanta, and then there's even more in these major metropolitan cities. So I have to find a way to um, distinguish myself in various ways and grow at a competitive rate and grow in the right way. So from start to finish, um, on average, what does it take to, you know, how long does it take to make a suit? So for our garments, um, we'll say approximately four to five weeks. Um, and if you talk about a suit, and so, yeah, I can start to finish. A lot of people, they they may not be familiar with just the process of anything that's, you know, being custom crafted. And it doesn't have to be clothes or furniture. I'm, when I worked for the print and communication company, and we were providing custom printed materials, you still have to plan out the project, if you get all the design elements in, you have to do proof checking, 
then you have to wait for literally your turn to get on press. Um, so it's a very similar scenario when it comes to crafting custom suits. Um, so we'll work with the client. We pick out a fabric. We walk through their design preferences and allow them to literally build out their pieces from scratch. And then we capture their measurements. And then from there, we get ready to go into the production, the production phase. So once our tailors have the measurements, once we go over the body type and structure of the client with them, then they begin drawing the paper pattern. And so every client has to have their own pattern drawn. And once the pattern is drawn, once it's updated and, and tweaked to either the best possible cuts and trims, then the fabric is pulled. And the fabric is pulled to match that customer's, to match that customer's pattern. And then you start on the crafting, right? And so each piece is crafted separately. So if you just talk about um, let's think about the, the body of the suit. So the body of the suit is crafted in four panels. You have your, your front two panels, your back two panels. And the front two panels, there's layering within that called canvassing. And the canvassing is sewn together, then the panels are sewn together, and then the lapels, well, within, that, within the, the front panels, and then the uh, lining is attached, and then the sleeves are attached and buttonholes are created, and buttonhole thread is attached, and buttons are attached, and there's different finishing, like hand stitching around edges or on pockets. And, you know, and that's just that's a very expedited summary of things, but this all takes a lot of time. And the tailor isn't just sitting there waiting for the client's order to come in. It's, just, it's a process. Um, but I am happy to say that our clients understand that, and in bespokature, our production lead times are a heck of a lot faster than the industry standards. The industry standard is like six to eight weeks. We're at four to five weeks. Uh, and so just over time, having found and, and vetted the right master tailors, the right production managers and production facilities um, to be able to produce the types of pieces that I like and I like for my clients, um, and us to be able to do so much and so much more, um, things have been moving along moving along quite well. So tell us, if you weren't doing this, if this was not your business venture, where would Omar be? What would you be doing? Selling drugs on the street. No, I'm way too paranoid for that. No, so uh, honestly, if, if, if I had not moved forward with the entrepreneurial venture. And let me, let me say this as well, and I realize I, I didn't say this. So I never, and I told you about my, my plan trajectory, I never planned on like starting or running a business. You know, I'm, I was dead serious when I said it was all happenstance scenarios. Um, so if I had not found, you know, this entrepreneurial route, I would be back at a company and I'd be either in sales I'd be uh, running a sales team or maybe, you know, on the marketing side. And, and that's it. You know, now granted, you know, just over time I would, I would move up um, just because I have the ambition, you know, the skill set and wherewithal to, to do that, and I wouldn't be happy just kind of staying in, in one role. But I'd, I'd be at a corporation. I'd be at a company. You know, so uh, entrepreneurism found me, right? Entrepreneurship found me. And the same way I found entrepreneurship, and it just 
yeah. the fire, <laughs> it was like magic when it happened, and now I don't want to let it go. And it's something that I want to pass down to my son. Whether it's right he wants to take or not, you at, you at least want your children to be aware of it. You know, because my parents were entrepreneurs, so it wasn't, it wasn't an option in the sense of they would shut it down. It wasn't an option in the sense that it just it was never presented as a possibility. When you heard people running businesses, you figured they were presidents or CEOs and they got the job and they running the company. Not they started the business from scratch. So that's something that no matter what happens with the business, we want to pass that on to, to our son. In, in terms of not the business necessarily, no, I'd love, I would definitely love that, but just the idea that being an entrepreneur is a very feasible, very relevant possibility and option um, for, for his future. Are you going back to corporate America now? <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. We're keeping it here, man. And, and you know, not, not only would, would I not go back to corporate, uh, you know, I have plans on growing a business so that you know, we are a thriving entity you know, in and of ourselves and can provide jobs to others. So you know, I've already onboarded two custom clothing reps, and my goal is to hire three more, so I have a total of five by the end of the year. Um, and, you know, I want to grow, and like I said, it's a, it's an almost goal. I'm still debating whether or not I, I truly want a brick-and-mortar or, or a flagship store. Um, you know, if, if I do want it, then that'll be a goal over the next you know, maybe three-plus years. Um, but I really want to build out a team so that I have more, you know, awesome clothiers that are duplicating my efforts to and provide style to the masses, you know, because we, we want to get out there and, and sell and provide confidence and lifestyle transformation. And it's going well so far. So, no, sir, no more corporate for me. If you had to do it all over again, what would you do different? I'd start earlier, a heck of a lot earlier. And, and literally that's probably the only thing. The path, in which, the, the path in which I took is one that I'm okay with doing again, um, and mainly because it, it happened so quickly, quicker than I may have thought or expected. Uh, so... I, mean, I would I would have loved to have started five years ago instead of just a couple. And and not too, too early because, you know, still being – I'm not that old, right? I'm 33. But, you know, I think any younger than maybe five, six years ago, I just would have been like a, a nightmare to myself. You know, things have been going well, and who knows, I may have just would have spent money just going on trips and doing X, Y, Z. You, you never know, right? So I think over time, you know, as you grow – you mature as a person, you mature in business, you mature in life. Um, your goals certainly change. The way you go about doing things certainly changes. But I'm, I'm happy with, with the path that I had taken. Uh, but if I had a, a few years head start, that would probably be the only thing. So I, I would probably tell 25-year-old Omar a couple things. You know, one of them being – so I don't want to be like anti – school or anything, but my MBA has not done for me what I what I thought. <laughs> so, and then I can't begin to tell you how much I hate the GMAT. Uh, I definitely wouldn't have taken that. Man, I hate the GMAT. 
it's the worst thing in the world. But no, graduate school or business school is, is awesome, and it can be awesome for a lot of people. Um, just, again, I, I wasn't able to, to utilize those credentials in the way that I wanted. Definitely, you know, took a lot of the, the learning, um, but I would tell myself to move faster into some of these ideas that I had. Um, you know, don't be afraid if you don't see a safety net, if there's not one. Sometimes you may need to jump and somehow toss your parachute. Or heck, you know, as most as most entrepreneurs do, you know, instead of going off a cliff and, and you know, flying the airplane as it dies down, entrepreneurs are building the airplane and then flying it out. And so that was, like a, that was a cartoon somewhere, and I don't think I said it right, but hopefully you get the idea. You know, having a safety net of the corporate realm, I think, was a hindrance for for some time for me. So I would tell myself to, to go for it and, and don't be afraid because you have time, right? You have time to mess up. You have time to, to fall on your face, pick yourself back up, fall on your face again, pick yourself back up and, and do it again and keep running. And, and don't be afraid to be more susceptible to advice that and open to advice that others are giving you that have done it before you because uh, that can definitely go a long way. You know, and and that was something I even learned in high school when you know all these teachers, well, the guidance counselors are saying, you know, if you just if you, if you just slow down and, and behave and stop going, you know, doing all these crazy things. Um, but I wasn't a a bad bad student in school. I just wasn't. Uh, I was I was mischievous. Let's say that. But you know, I was having too much fun, just doing whatever I wanted to do and be in school. And, you know, when you're younger, you know, school is just something you have to do, so you don't really, you don't really give it that much credit, you know? And so just being hard-headed, you know, just being one of those those young kids running around going crazy, I wouldn't listen to anybody. And so um, when it finally hit me and dawned on me that if you do well, right, your teachers respond to you better, other people respond to you better, if you actually listen to these adults, Right, because these people that have been there, they've done it before. They've seen other people do it before. That they're not, they're not leading you astray. They're trying to help you move forward. Um, and so once you understand that, it, it kind of changes, right? And then you're you're more you know, you you you're taking advice with with readiness to actually utilize it, right, and move forward to your benefit. So just a couple of things. I'll be honest though. If I came back and told myself 25 years later, I'd probably look like, ah, you're lying. You know, right? Young young people are the worst. It sounds like you're saying that you you weren't coachable. So even if somebody would have given you that recommendation, you wouldn't listen anyway. So you had to. Are you a person that has to touch the stove to see that it's hot? Yeah, it's for the most part. You know, I'll I'll take what you say, or back in the day, I'll take what you say with a grain of salt. Like, mm, I mean, it sounds good. I mean, I'll definitely play it off like I'm listening to you 100%, right? But then I wouldn't believe you. And then you actually realize it and step back and say, okay, yeah, they were right, and then run with it. So in a sense, I was like that. How has entrepreneurship changed that? Oh, man. <laughs> You're like a sponge. Like, okay, what what can I learn and, and and absorb and uncover and get today, right? Because every day is a learning experience. 
because it's all new. Um, and, and even though there are people that have done it before you, um, whether it be in your business, in your role, in your industry, in your city, you know, you name it. Somebody has done it before, but you're a different person with different ideas, different thoughts, different strategies, different approaches, and you're going to execute in, in different ways, right? So take as much in as you can and you utilize it, and then you, you harness it and then you mold it into something that can allow you to be great. And, and as an entrepreneur, you have to do that because if you're not – and now, granted, this just goes for anybody that's doing something. You know, if you're not always learning, always bettering yourself, I mean, just just lay down and go to sleep somewhere, right? I don't. There's there's so much out there that I mean, it's, it's hard not to pick up something new every day, right? You can walk down the street and somebody just yells out, you know, 11% of people are left-handed. It's a random fact, but hell, maybe you go out and sell a left-handed widget now. So, like, it's random, super random, but. I still had to say, never stop learning. And entrepreneurship has, has allowed me to really see that knowing and then turning that into an actual item and executing upon that or even passing on knowledge to somebody else, I mean, it's extremely rewarding. Absolutely. Can you talk to us about some of the lessons that you've learned or what three kind of bigger or more important lessons stands out, stand out for you? So one that's kind of like a life and business lesson, especially as it pertains to what I do, um, you realize that people don't know what the heck they want. And it makes things extremely difficult when people have, they have an idea of what they think they want, but until you really show them what they want and, and show them why they want, the, why they want what they want, um, then they're not truly satisfied. And, you know, one way I equate that to the businesses, and, of course, you know, my, my life is run by minutes and inches, right, where every second is kind of accounted for in trying to grow a business and, and you know, do these things in terms of the business. Uh, and then, you know, inches because, you know, if you're off by an inch in a certain area for a client's garment, right, it can make or break their experience. And so as you're talking through fit, you know, somebody can tell you they want X, Y, Z, and you make X, Y, Z, and they get X, Y, Z back. Like, nah, W would have been cool. And, and so just understanding and, and, and being able to, to really understand what people are needing, even if they can't communicate what they need. Uh, and so just being able to, to talk through things, um, understanding the nature of my business, you know, understanding my craft and, and – all that goes within that uh, certainly helps, but uh, it's it's interesting. Everybody they don't know everything about everything, and so some things are new to them, um, so they're just not sure what they may want. Now, so you just have to be adaptable. Uh, you know, just if you're in a new role in a company, you know, another lesson is to be ready to be moving or changing. I mean, and it's not easy for some people, but I think with running your own business, it's it's essential. It's essential. Um, and it can make or break you. You know, you, you can't just one stay in one place in terms of action, knowledge, or methods. And then also, if there's a fire, you, you got to be ready for for Plan B or Plan C or D. Um, so, so getting ready to move at all times, and that's another another big lesson right there. And then 
a huge lesson that I'm still battling with is, and I'm sure you've heard somebody say this, so if this sounds like cliche, just, just laugh at me, uh, is being a gatekeeper of your time or really guarding your time. And I say that because as you start your own business, as you're growing or running or operating your own business, people think you don't do anything because you may not go into the office or because on a Tuesday afternoon you may be at a coffee shop, right, and, and they're in the office. They just assume you're not doing anything. And then what happens is people, they start asking things of you. And some of it may just be, you know, minor tasks. Other things may be uh, organization-related. Um, people may think that, now you have a lot of money, so maybe you should join an organization and kind of be a fundraiser for them. Or people you know, see a lot of excellence in you, and they want you to join on a team, um, whether it be a board or you know, something along those lines. And as you grow, people will request more and more and more. And for whatever reason, myself and many others, we're like, yeah, let's do it, because we see it as opportunity, whether it be networking connections, whether it be you know, growth in, in certain areas or a trajectory of some sort, like, yeah, yeah, we're going we're gonna to say yes to this and yes to that and do this and that. And then you're trying to fit 36 hours into a 24-hour day, right? And, oh, you have a family. You know, you have to eat and sleep. You know, you have to do other things. And it's, it's just not feasible. And it's not fair to your family or yourself to not properly – manage your time in the sense of, one, prioritizing, you know, what truly needs to be on your plate, and then saying no to everything else, right? Like, if it doesn't make sense, just don't do it, you know? Because it's only going to get worse. The more you do, the more people are going to ask you because they see you doing more. Or they see you doing a lot of great things, which is awesome. But, I mean, you, you can run yourself ragged trying to do a million other things. So... And I think that's amazing because, well, let me compliment you on that. A lot of people want to be everything to everybody. And I think part of entrepreneurship ends up being some people pleasing because when you start out, you don't have the luxury of a lot of clients and being able to pick and choose who you work with. You have to work with who has the money right then if you have something to pay for. And then as the business matures, you get to be a little more selective with who you spend your time with and what parts of your business you work in, assuming you have profitability and the ability to pay other folks for the things that aren't the best use of your time. And that takes a lot of maturity. And I think some of it is courage as well because you have to tell people no. And we live in a world where we don't like telling people no. <laughs> we, we like to tell people yes because we want to get the yes back. And you may have been a little more hardened to that because you did sales prior to going out and selling for yourself. But that rejection that most people get when they're selling is it'll make you tuck your tail and go back into whatever business you left so that you can avoid that negative experience. So I think that's awesome. What 
What gift were you given the world? So the first, the absolute first thing that came to my mind was style. But, you know, honestly, I, I think it's more than that because, and this is, you know, one of the truly rewarding aspects of, of what I do and what the company will be providing is allowing people to, to really boost their confidence and show themselves on their sleeve, right, in a sense of, we want our clients to be able to wear what they want to wear, how they want to wear it, and look damn good while they're wearing it. And so some people just, they may not be able to find the pieces to accomplish that. They may not have the confidence to do that. They may not understand how to put this together to achieve that. So we really work with them. And, and honestly, because of the nature of the business, like when you start working with, you know, a custom clothier, like, I mean, they're, they're in your life, right? <laughs> it's literally, uh, because once somebody's measured your body and knows all about you, you know, it, it goes so it goes beyond that. Um, so you gained a, a lifelong friend if you, if you do things well and if they like the service and clothing. But, you know, once somebody experiences a well-made custom piece for the first time, it's it's life changing and transformational, in a sense that you know they they light up, they glow, right? Because I'm sure you you all have heard, you know, when you look good, you feel good, and when you feel good, that excitement, that happiness, that confidence, it exudes, and it carries over, and it just it's a ray of sunshine that you walk around with and so it allows you to be more productive. It you know, people that dress better, right? Studies show that they're more successful. Um, people like to see people that are happy. If you smile at somebody, you know, ninety nine percent of the time they're gonna smile back at you. So you know, we can truly transform somebody's life and that is just a beautifully rewarding thing. So along with Style is the first answer. I, I would say it's you know a little bit more than. That. Why do you think we put so much importance on outward appearance as a culture? Oh, I'm blaming that on society and marketing. Um, it's yeah. So aside from the fact that you know people like to feel good because they are looking good, society also shows us that people that look good, and I won't dive into the the societal norms that ads and, and certain companies try to portray as, you know, what beauty is. That's a whole other realm that, you know, I, I think is a shameful and sad and, and appalling, quite honestly. But society shows us, movies show us, advertisements show us, you know, everything shows that good-looking people get things. Whatever it is, get things. So people want to look good. Look at any advertisement that is showcasing whatever. The advertisements, they show a lifestyle. And 10 times out of 10, it's going to be a good-looking person that is in that ad, and you want to – you don't want to buy the product, right? You just want to have that lifestyle. Right, you, you may want to be that person, right? and so it's it's kind of instilled in us from a very young age, you know, that people that look certain ways get 
respond is, or people react to them in, in different ways. And it, it's sad but true. And so it, it's honestly, I don't think it's anything that's going to change. But it's also, it's not just humans. Our animals do it well. You know, we, they got the term peacocking literally from peacocks where they show and display their feathers and the best-looking one gets to mate, right? And so it's, it's just something that I think is embedded in our, in our society as people wanting to look good. Now, people react and respond in all, in all different ways, but to answer your question, I mean, I, I think it just comes down to, to what we have been, you know, unfortunately brainwashed to, which is, which is not a bad thing if you're not doing it for the wrong reasons and if you're not hurting yourself. Because right? there's nothing wrong with wanting to look good, trying to look good, and, and go, moving forward to look your best as long as there's no detriment to, to yourself. I always, I, I find that interesting. I remember having a resident tell me that he couldn't pay his rent in the month of December because he needed that money to buy his family presents to celebrate the Christmas holiday. And it made me scratch my head because if they have presents but nowhere to live in January, was he successful? <laughs> and, I mean, I don't know what he bought, but I assume it was a video game or clothes or whatever it was. And so I've always struggled with the emphasis on vanity, not because I don't think looking good makes a lot of sense, but I just wonder if we've lost the balance or the centeredness that goes with it. Like, the clothes are amazing. Some days I'm jealous. I'm like, man, what Omar just posted on LinkedIn, I wish I could go buy that today, right? And then I ask myself, well, where am I going that I can wear that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, hey, well, then that means I'm doing my job if, <laughs> if, you, if you wanted it. But, yeah. man, but do, do, it's just like, like how, do oh, you, how do you balance the 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 – I don't even know how to phrase it. How do you how do you balance the appearance piece with the social consciousness, and how do you make sure what you're create what you're creating a desire for is still healthy for the folks that are out there trying to purchase? What you're what you're going into is so relevant and so deep. We could literally have a whole another whole another call like just on that. Uh, but you know, I'll just I'll, I'll scratch the surface of it and say so. It it is. It's sad, and it's you know going back to what I was saying, just kind of the the you know us as a society, you know, kind of growing up with these images embedded in our brain of of what beauty is. So, in terms of consumerism, like we're failing, right? Like we are getting hit over the head on a daily basis on a minute-by-minute minute basis by companies that are just flooding and overwhelming us with advertisements to buy, 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 right? Everything is purchase, 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 purchase. And so there's, there's a couple things, right? You may be buying because you want to look a certain way, you know, to, to the detriment of, of yourself. You may be doing certain things or buying certain things that may be chemically affecting your body. You may be prioritizing purchases like, like your tenant was doing with gifts over rent. You know, what people are doing that with with food, 
people are doing that with tuition. Yeah, I mean, heck, I'm sure you remember uh, at A&T when refund checks came out, and first of all, people didn't realize that, oh, if you take out a loan just to buy clothes, you have to pay that back, you know. But anyway, it's a whole other whole another area of, of discussion. Um, but people are very much focused on looking the part, whatever that part may be, right? So wherever you see yourself, you know, whatever socioeconomic class, whatever group, you you need to fit in because that's what you, that group is telling you, wherever you see yourself. And, it, I mean, just the brands, they're just they're making it too easy and too accessible for, one, credit to be able to purchase these things. And, you know, you're not seeing ads that say, be a great parent, take care of your kids, right? Put food on your table. No, they're saying, no, no, go buy things for your kids, right? Which isn't, isn't bad, but you're still spending money on things that they may or may not need, right? They need hugs, love, and kisses, and, and nourishment. They don't need more Xbox games. And so if you're choosing one or the other, then clearly there's, you know, some misappropriation of priorities in whatever you're doing in life. Uh, but even beyond that, you talk about, you know, ethical dilemmas or, or social responsibility in clothing. Like, do you know how much companies have just flooded chemicals into garments? You know how bad, you know, the, the, the child labor scenarios or, or, or situations are, the plight of child labor in, in these world countries, you know, these poor factory conditions, um, it just like all these different factors go into it, and it all comes down to these these you know century-old companies that want to not only continue you know holding the the, the reins of power in terms of capitalism, but they'll just hey whatever they need to do to keep getting that dollar, let's go, right? And if you know if they need to put a message out there to you that. You know, you need to spend your last dime on shoes versus food. Then guess what? They're gonna put that message out there. Oh, and they're gonna discount those shoes, and they're gonna give you a credit card to buy those shoes. In the first three months, uh, is zero interest. But after that, it's at forty-seven percent. Like you know, the crazy things like this. So we're we're getting inundated with messages that you know only portray the good life. And it's not allowing people the same way that people don't see, you know, all of the hardship that entrepreneurs entrepreneurs go through to build their businesses, right? That I see them earning money and, and enjoying life and traveling. Like that's what that's what people are seeing as messages, you know, just on a daily basis. And so, why why wouldn't you want to strive for this? And it's it's making it all too clear and all too too apparent that, you know, our our society is all based on. And consumer behavior because capitalism top of the hill you know that's where everything's kind of stemming from and not to go off on a tangent but I mean it, it can get so much so much deeper than that but I mean that, I think that's a that's a real thing how are you guys at this focature not falling into the system and perpetuating further the things that you don't think should be perpetuated yeah um, so when I when I mentioned vetting out um, master tailors and facilities, um, so I can say I'm fortunate to where my offering I don't need to try to find ways 
to produce mass quantities for the lowest possible price, meaning I don't need to incorporate, you know, highly chemically processed fabrics, materials, and, and the whole nine. But um, we, we're working with facilities that, you know, pull in natural fiber composition materials um, that, that are, I will say, regulated by, you know, stringent, child labor or worker laws, meaning, you know, facilities are, are not dilapidated and falling apart. You know, there's not people that are getting, you know, paid you know, 0.00002 cents, you know, U.S. dollar, you know, things like that. And then um, we make sure that uh, for the leather uh, that we're using, like, anal like, vegetable dyes and not, I can't remember the name of the chemical, uh, but, you know, some chemicals are used on, on certain dyes that can run off into water and completely annihilate the, the available drinking water for, like, entire communities. Uh, if, I, if I remember, I'll, I'll shoot it over to you. But um, there's a few ways that you can do it. Now, here's the, here's the problem, right? Unfortunately, again, thanks to capitalism, you still need to, like, really dig in and see what's going on because... You know, things happen behind the scenes that you may not be able to touch or, or, or control. So, so if somebody gives you, you know, X and they tell you it's X, uh, but then you find out that it's really Z or it's made up of different composition, you know, then you have to go and, and kind of backtrack, you know, fix any wrongs with that. And it's just, it's a lot. So luckily, again, as I said, you know, we're not running a brand where we need to produce a mass, a huge volume of pieces and need to get the lowest price point, we are fortunately able to work with, you know, natural fiber materials, um, with stringent, you know, labor laws. Um, and, and so it allows us to, what I like to say, work clean and produce clean materials and produce clean garments for, for our clients. Well, thank you. Um, okay. Omar, do you have any final words you'd like to leave with us? I'm laughing because I just think about my wife always telling me that I talk too much. But uh, I, I appreciate you, know, you guys allowing me to have the platform to spew a bunch of stuff, as my wife likes to say. Um, as you can see, I, I love talking about fashion or business. And one thing, you know, after the last thing I would say, and even going back to Jerome's earlier question about advice to my younger self, advice that I give anybody is, if there's something you want to do, uh, if there's something you have the, the slightest passion or inclination to try to attempt it, just get up and do it uh, because you won't know until you try. Uh, you won't know until you fail, and it's, trust me, it's better to try and fail than to have sat there and just continue thinking about it for years and years. So just get up and do it. Well, thank you so much. I've been really excited to hear this call and all that you're doing. I just want to wrap up by saying, again, thank you, Omar. Um, if you like what you heard and you want to learn more about Dreamcatchers, please visit our website at dreamshouldbereal.com. And if you can think of someone who would benefit from the types of opportunities and are willing to share what we're doing with them, we would greatly appreciate it. Omar, thanks again, man. I think we're going to have to get Jerome in one of those suits. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. You know, I'm ready for it. <laughs> and thank you guys so much. This has been awesome. Thank you. Have a good night.
get it how you live, and that's just what I did. You know I hustle all day and all night, boy. You know I hustle all day and all night, boy.